Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg with you, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and Stephanie Burke, science advisor Matt Moniz. I, th- I think think he may have landed by now. Not from outer space, but he was traveling. I think he was in Florida for business. I'll go with outer space. So, either way, he's not here with us tonight, but uh, we have a great show planned for you. We have some guests here in the studio with us. Uh, we do have Andrew Lake, who is a longtime friend of the show. Hello, Andy. Hello, Tim. Thanks for having me on. And for a number of years, you've been telling us uh, and t- kind of teasing the Spooky South Coast audience a little bit about this case that has been kind of your, I, I, I don't it's your Borley Rectory. Yes. It's, it's your... Uh, it's your Lizzie Borden. It's your, you know, it's the case where you just keep going back again and again and finding new and different things and, and having, you know, getting thrown for a loop every time you go. Yes, uh, a little over six and a half years now. So we'll uh, we'll get into all of that. And, of course, we have the homeowner and your good friend, Anne-Marie, here with us as well. Hello. Thank you for joining us tonight. And uh, thank you for coming here into the studio instead of making us go to your terrifying house. (laughs) (laughs) Not that we wouldn't want to do it, but, uh, you know, I don't know. Tonight's kind of a dark and and, uh, freaky night. And I want to say a big um, show of support to all of our friends out there at WeijaCon. Mm-hmm. who tonight are dealing with some some issues. Uh, of course, WeijaCon, it is the 125th anniversary of the Ouija, and uh, Bob Merch, the chairman of the board, so to speak, and, and, and literally, uh, he is uh, actually holding WeijaCon in Baltimore this weekend, and also right now they're having riots uh, in Baltimore, protesting, uh, you know, the... For, I don't want to get political here on Spooky South Coast since it is a paranormal show. Uh, you know, we don't um, we we kind of stick to the paranormal more or less, or or things of that ilk. But if you haven't been following the situation with the the Freddie Gray death in Baltimore, uh, a lot of folks feel like something happened where his his spine was broken. The police were responsible for it. Anyway, there's a protest taking place across the city of Baltimore tonight, and it is kind of handcuffed WeijaCon. And of course, everybody leaving the Red Sox game that you just heard here on WBSM, that happening at Camden Yards with the protest right outside. They're not allowing the fans to leave Camden Yards. They're keeping them inside the stadium. So everybody's kind of stuck where they are uh, because of these protests, which I, I understand people's right to protest, and I understand the need, and I understand why people feel like they need to get out there and protest, but you can't cripple a city like that either at the no. same time. But uh, maybe cripple was a, a poor choice of words considering the crime that went on. But anyway, we'll we'll go forward uh, with the show and uh, just want everybody out there to stay safe if you are listening. That's probably what they're doing, though, right? And I'm sure they're deciding, well, since I'm stuck in the hotel, we'll listen to Spooky South Coast. I hope so. <coughs> but the... The advantage, though, of of being able to listen to this on podcasts later on is a lot of them will be like, oh, you know, thank God that's over. Right. So hopefully that'll be the case. And if anybody has any questions during tonight's show, the numbers to call in are 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. I do want to mention, too, uh, also... Twitter as well, by the way. If you want to join in the conversation there, you can use the hashtag SpookyLive, and we will see your tweets, and they'll show up on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, where you can watch us on video. Hello, video cameras. <laughs> These new WBSM cameras that are in here now throw me off, because I just looked for the blue light. And so there's, like, so many cameras with blue lights. There is. One thing that we only 
touched upon just a little bit before we get into tonight's topic overall. We only touched upon this a little bit last Saturday, and I think we can discuss it a little bit more right now because we've, you know, Andy's here and Andy's been at this location before. But the the S.K. Pierce Mansion mm-hmm. in Gardner, the haunted Victorian, as it's also known, is up for sale. Yes, it is. And the asking price, I believe, is it is it. Uh, the two hundred thirty nine or three hundred and twenty nine. I think it's three twenty nine. So it's it's up for sale, which it's still a bargain at that price. I mean, ten rooms uh, in a business district. Some people would call it a combat zone. Either way, but it's still you know it's a it's it's an interesting neighborhood to say the least. But you've got this gigantic home, this mansion, and it's for sale, and it needs some work. Of course, it needs heating work. Uh, it needs new new pipes and new plumbing, all of that. But you would think that somebody that's purchasing that has the money to make those improvements. But my question to you guys is, one of the thoughts and theories that's going out there that a lot of people are throwing out there is, oh, uh, you know, what if a bunch of us paranormal investigators all got our money together and we purchased this and, and we used it as a paranormal testing ground? We've had the chance to go to the same, and we'll talk about it tonight, Andy, the chance to go to the same location again and again and have repeated results. Do you feel like that would be a good idea for somebody to, to invest that kind of money for that purpose. I mean, you, would you tie up a 10-room Victorian mansion just for the sole purpose of paranormal investigation? No, I wouldn't do that. I really wouldn't. Um, I'm one of the first people that met Edwin and Lillian. And uh, Edwin had had his first paranormal encounter only three nights earlier when I knocked oh, on his wow. door. And uh, I was one of the people that confirmed for him that, yes, you've probably bought one of the most haunted houses in Massachusetts. <laughs> and I was also one of the first people to suggest, well, if you're looking for money to fix the place, if that's your goal. I said every once in a while you could, like, invite some people in mm-hmm. and have, like, a ghost weekend. Find a reputable ghost group that you can trust who can handle that for you. And every once in a while have, you know, the public come in and let them ghost hunt or take a ghost tour or whatever. And you might be able to make a little scratch to help put a new roof on or whatever. And um, everybody and their brother got involved in that house. And I, right. I mm-hmm. as a paranormal investigator, and Steph's been there too, um, I think uh, too much was stirred up in that house, and I think that's what caused problems for the, you know, the current owners who are trying to sell it. Um, I, well, think, I, I think the roof and the plumbing are probably you know, the two major problems. Yes. Even if they could stand the activity in yes. the house, the house is, you can't live in the house right now. No. So no. besides the fact that they're terrified to actually spend the night there, because of what's gone on. I mean, the the fact that that's happened. But, And I remember hearing about that. I remember, I, I believe, it was either you or Moniz, one of you called me like immediately after you had that, that meeting, and we were like, you know, we got this place, and they're looking yeah. to make some money. And my initial thought was that with that was, well, but this is your house. It's yeah. different if you own, like... You know, you own an old historic building or something, or right. it's, you know, if you're a historical society and you have one of these homes under your under your caretaking. But to have it be the place where you live, well, actually, uh, technically, it wasn't their only home. Right. They they lived at another address while they were trying to repair that. And yes, they did live for a time in there. Um, and Edwin feels that that's uh, what affected Lillian. He said his mm-hmm. wife began to act in ways that w- wasn't Lillian. Um, but I don't know. I, I, that house is, I wish it could be saved for the, the historic significance. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I guess it doesn't fall under the yeah, historical preservation codes or whatever. 
But um, uh, it bothers me that somebody probably is going to buy it and turn it into their own little spook house Walt Disney World attraction, and I, I, I'm I'm opposed to that. You know, I don't know what else to do. I don't have any ideas, but that just rubs me the wrong way for some reason. But at least, I mean, at least if it turns into a bed and breakfast type scenario, yeah. Then at least then it will be a chance for people to come in and see it and experience it, you know, not just within the realm of the paranormal. I did read, I won't say who wrote it, but it was someone that did look into the um, the actual location in the um, the surrounding area of that particular town to see if it could be a bed and breakfast, and it can't because it requires a parking lot by law, and there is nowhere to park there. So that's completely out, but I do know that it's zoned commercial, which is a huge, you know, speed bump anyway. So right. it could be, but there is no parking, so... Yeah, I mean, if, if it's not a place where there are uh, requirements for staying there, mm-hmm. you know, like I mean, as is, as constituted, you could probably open it as, uh, say, an antique shop. Right. Uh, even without doing any of the improvements that it needs. I mean, you'd be taking a huge risk having that roof on a building full of antiques, but you could still find a way to generate some kind of income. I don't think that the plan is, uh, the, the right plan to do is to, to say you're going to purchase this house for the paranormal significance of it. Because when we see, we see this happen with other places. When they're purchased for the paranormal significance, they don't really care so much about the upkeep. Right. Mm. Because... An, an abandoned-looking Victorian mansion is just as creepy and ominous and generates just as much income for people running ghost tours as a restored and refurbished Victorian mansion. I think their idea by releasing everything about the house, and that's their big sales pitch, is you want to own a haunted house. Paranormal investigators aren't really the type of group that you want to market that to mm-hmm. because, A, a lot of people in the paranormal don't have that type of money. Right. Um, and on top of that, I mean, I think I, I don't know, I just don't think it's a really good sales pitch. I don't think anybody's going to really take that seriously, and I think it's going to take it longer to sell because people don't want to buy a haunted house. If you wanted to really sell it fast, I think they probably should have just marketed it as, as is, and if people found out on their own, then so be it. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I support Edwin and Lillian and, and what too. they chose to do with their house. It was their property. Um, I... I you know better than I do, you know, when they first moved in there. they I think that they had to have some inkling of what that the history of that house was. They were they were told about it, but they did not take it seriously. Yeah, I, th- I think they overplay the idea that they didn't they didn't know. I think they've kind of played that up a little bit. And, and I, I blame producers more than I blame them for that. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that being aside, the situation is this. That house is not going to be bought by somebody who cares about it, the paranormal aspect of it. It's going to be care, bought by somebody who wants to own a Victorian era mansion so. and wants to restore it. But now the problem is you've hurt that market because everybody and his brother wants to get into that place. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants to buy a Victorian mansion to own and to take care of and to pass on to their future generations if they know a bunch of weirdos in black t-shirts are going to be showing up outside their house every Friday mm-hmm. night. So... It's a double-edged sword. Yes, it got you the income and it got you the revenue mm-hmm. when you own the house, and it gave you a way to keep it afloat. But now it's a huge stab in your foot when you're trying to put it mm-hmm. on the market and and get it taken seriously by uh, somebody who would purchase it and take care of it. So I don't know where you go with that. Yeah, I mean, I know that even if, if somebody handed me a half a million dollars right now 
and said, here, have this half a million dollars, do whatever you want with it. I wouldn't go and buy that house and, no. and no. put those improvements into it, knowing the fact that everybody wants to get in there. And then you get into the situation where, and we've heard it happen, and, and we'll be talking about Anne Marie's house tonight, and it's going to happen with people who hear this podcast and are going to start contacting Andy and say, well, uh, you know, you owe it to the paranormal community to let people in. You owe it to the paranormal field of research to allow people to come into this house because this activity takes place. And I, I don't understand for the life of me where that comes from. I have gotten more no's from places that we've tried to get into for Legend Trips events, dangling, or, or even for the TV shows that I've worked for, dangling thousands of dollars of revenue in their face, and they say, you know what, we're just not interested. We don't want to invite that into what we do. And, you know, a perfect example is the Mark Twain house. Probably the, the single place that we've gotten the most resentment from other people for being able to hold an event there because they let us come in. We had a stellar reputation for putting on great events that took care of the property and raised a lot of money, something that we worked hard to build over a number of years. And people are jealous because we can get in there and hold an event, but their paranormal group can't get in there and investigate. Like, they owe it to them because they're paranormal researchers. They owe it to you because you spent $4,000 on a thermal camera you bought off eBay. All of a sudden, they're supposed to let you do whatever you want, and, and you will dictate how they take care of their property. I, I, that's I, the I, I, caught a, I caught a jealous tone and attitude from uh, from a uh, group's uh, leader down in Rhode Island when I just was trying to have a conversation to mention what happened with the... Uh, the, uh, the the radar thing there the uh, the connect connect unit mm -hmm. and uh, he just looks at me and goes oh yeah well I, I bet your guests really did enjoy that and it was like so full just dripping with jealousy uh. and resentment I was like well forget it never mind All right but, it, but we're not we're not doing those events for the purpose of of shutting somebody else out we're doing it to help raise money for the location to give our client you know our, right. our clients uh, to give our attendees a good time you know that's that's our concern. One of the biggest problems with it is is when people see what it is that we do with those events, they think, and by the way, if you would like to come on an event, we still have tickets for sale for Ventford Hall, June 13th. Great place. Uh, that we, we're over half sold out, I think, already, so you better start seriously uh, thinking about purchasing your tickets before they're gone. But, you know, when people look at what it is that we do, they think that it's easy for them to just step in and do the same thing, too. So then that's another problem that's happened with, with the S.K. Pierce Mansion is a perfect example of that, where they were letting people come in and hold events, and people thought that they could handle it. They thought that they could bring people in and put on this event, and it's harder than it looks. You know, the, what, the, way we, the reason why we're able to do the things that we do is because a lot of us have gone to these other ones and seen how spectacular they can fail. Yeah. And we've seen where they can go wrong. We've seen where the pitfalls are, and we've found a way to avoid them. And a lot of planning goes into it, a lot of discussion goes into it, into how to best attack these locations in a way that will make it entertaining and fun for everybody and keep everybody safe. That's the biggest problem, and that's the biggest problem with the Victorian that I think a lot of people don't understand, is that you know, it's not just as simple as opening the door and going in there. Mm -hmm. And it won't be that easy for whoever buys it. Yeah. So, so uh, we're all out then on the plan to chip in together Definitely. and buy it. Yes. Definitely. Okay. I had no, I had no plans of using it as a as a paranormal playground. My idea was to use it as a competing pizza place for the one across the street. Yeah. Because I, I don't know if we could compete because they have some pretty good. I was pizza. gonna say they have huh? some pretty good food. Wasn't bad. <laughs> if I go, if I if I did buy it, the first people I'd call were the people we rented the porta potty from. Oh my god! I thought about that. If you do live there. 
How easy is it to just get takeout every night? I don't think I'd cook ever again. That, is, that would be pretty awesome. It's literally right across the street, but like on this weird little like V, so it's You'll... like almost like on their front lawn. <laughs> you don't even have to walk 10 feet to get your pizza. And I didn't try the Thanksgiving pizza. I wish I had. It was November when we had our event, well, too, and they had the Thanksgiving Wicked pizza. Wicked Pizza. Local has Thanksgiving pizza. Really? Yes. And Brennan's in love with it, so you'll probably like it. You should probably get the show a sponsorship. and See then that? And then have them uh, bring us pizza every Saturday night. I'll work on it. They're right around the corner from my house. This is how it works. This is what we do. I just signed, like, new payola paper, so I can't take anything for free. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> well, tonight we are going to talk about this one particular case, and and and... And Andy, I, I don't know if I am overstating this to call this case kind of like your white whale. You know, this is your movie. No, 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 you're you're absolutely right. I've also uh, referred to it as uh, my Enfield Poltergeist case. So. Right. Yep. And uh, as I was telling Anne Marie, that I think it's a a great example because uh, if anybody's not familiar with the Enfield Poltergeist case in England in 1977, uh, it was very well re- uh, investigated by two parapsychologists. And uh, even police officers had experiences in this house. The neighbors did. Uh, it was a remarkable case. And it's funny how when they were done with their investigation, their research, and came up with their findings, even their own paranormal group was like, well, they didn't do a very good job investigating. And it probably was a legitimate case, but we feel they made mistakes. So after all this hard work of going into this case and documenting it the best they could, to this day, I'm still seeing on Facebook people go, oh, yeah, I know that case. That was proven to be fake. No way, shape, or form was it ever proven to right. be fake. It's it's one of those rock-solid cases. But I've told Anne-Marie, this case of hers is just so involved and so overlapping, and there's so many things going on there besides your standard haunting. Um, we really wonder if anyone would ever believe us. I mean, Anne-Marie, uh, tell, uh, just tell Tim what you've said to us you know, dozens of times about... I have a hard time believing it, and I'm there, and I see it, and it's crazy. So it's have crazy. Come just a little bit closer oh, to the okay. microphone. There you go. That way there, uh, everybody can hear. But So how long have you, uh, owned the, how long have you been in the home for? Seven years. And about when did you start to notice that things weren't exactly right? Uh, the first week I lived there. <laughs> what, happened, what happened then? Came home from work and um, walked through the driveway onto the side of the house, and the garage door went up. And I turned around and went back down to the driveway and looked at it, and it went back down. So I started back up the path again, and it went back up. And then I realized I don't have a garage door opener. <laughs> <laughs> that works. That it was, works. It was disabled. It was disabled. And um, it, it just kept going up and down, up and down for 20 minutes. And I knew it didn't work because when I bought the house, they told me it didn't work. And I called my nephew who was up the street, and he came over, and it stopped. And that different things would go on in front of me. And when he came, it would stop. So you're having this activity happen, and there's nobody else there that can see it to verify what it is that you're experiencing. Exactly. I mean, exactly. Well, we should mention also that your son, CJ, oh, well, who yes. no longer lives at the house, yeah. this, um, he was, he was ex- experiencing things that he wasn't telling his mother until I came into the picture. Yeah. So he was having his own experiences, keeping them to himself? Yeah, because... You know, he didn't want to look like he was losing his mind. 
You know? Well, I mean, is that how, <laughs> when all this is going on and, and nobody else is having it happen too, at least that you know of, is that making you question your own sanity, or were you solidly believing, like, hey, this is happening? I just got to get somebody to experience it. Um, I didn't believe in ghosts, so it didn't dawn on me that I lived in a haunted house. To me, a haunted house had spider webs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was this haunted thing, and no, my house isn't like that. Um, I don't know. It just well. When Anne-Marie, uh, how we met, it's a long story, but I'll just say it was kind of strange how we did meet. She got in touch with me, and uh, tell, tell them what you said. You said, this is what made you decide that the paranormal was real, this <laughs> story about the dentures. Oh, gosh. My mother, she got up one morning, and her teeth were gone. She did have dentures, but they were gone. And uh, I come downstairs, and she's yelling with her teeth out of her mouth. They stole my teeth. They stole my teeth. I was like, Ma, who stole your teeth? Nobody stole your teeth. You must have misplaced them. The cats got them. They're somewhere. So uh, that day I told her, I'll do the spring cleaning. I'll clean your bedroom. And I tore everything apart looking for her teeth and cleaning, changed curtains, bedspreads, everything. And nothing. So that night she was going to bed, and she was on one side of the bed. I was on the other side of the bed. We pulled down the comforter. I'm going back up for the sheets. And not on the ceiling, but maybe a foot down from the ceiling, her teeth appeared and fell to the right on the bed. Wow. Like, how does that happen? Like, just in, in midair? They just deported in They midair. were there and fell. Wow. But not out of the ceiling. They, they didn't break, I hope. No, she grabbed them and put them right okay. in her mouth. <laughs> no, I would have washed them off first. You don't know where those ghost hands have been. That's true. That's but true. In that, when she told me that story you know, the first time she called me, um, which was weird how it seemed like someone was trying to prevent us to talk. The phone yes. kept cutting out. But um, I knew within that 15-minute conversation that I was talking to a down-to-earth you know, blue-collar working person who was sane and was looking for help. This wasn't someone looking for attention. And uh, on my very first visit to the house, I brought a, uh, um, a psychic I was working with at the time named Pam, and we had things happen while we were there. And, I mean, even when we walked out at the end of the driveway, she turned to me and she said, those people aren't making this up, Andrew. This is happening. And one of the first, we'll get to it in a minute because Steph played a big part in this later, yeah. um, she said to me, there's something about a well on this property. And uh, as, as the story goes on, uh, um, you'll find out it, it did indeed have something to do with well, it. Well, we'll definitely get into that in the second hour because we only have about five minutes left in this hour uh, before we have to take a break for the news. But so you were having this, this, all this stuff happen, and how did you connect with Andrew? How did that come about? You know, was it a matter of trying to find somebody <laughs> who could offer some assistance? Absolutely not. Um, Wait, is, it, is this going to be one of those patented Andy Lake, you meet him not even under these circumstances, but then it well, turns into this? Well, I was, I was trying to solicit personal ghost stories in my area of Rhode Island, not to, for an investigation, but as an idea for a book. Mm-hmm. And I uh, spent $80 to put an ad in a free newspaper. You know, hey, do you have a family ghost story to tell? Do your grandparents tell you a great story? And I didn't get one phone call from That's anyone. That's because nobody reads newspapers anymore? Exactly. And, <laughs> and uh, I got one phone call, and as Anne-Marie said, you never Me? read that. I never, never read it. I always throw it right in the garbage. But that day, I opened it up, and there was the ad. Wow. And I looked at my mother, and I said, do you think I should call? Do you think we have ghosts? And she said, yeah, call him. He's better, you know, he knows better. So 
That's what I did. That's actually closer to an actual paranormal connection that you were actually yeah. looking for. Normally, your stories end up being like you bump into somebody, and it, after 20 minutes of talking about something else, you realize they live in a haunted house. You're just one of those people that draws the folks in that need the help. Well, I'll tell you, that was just the first coincidence uh, that, that connected us. Anne-Marie and I have had so many moments where it's been like somebody is orchestrating this. We were supposed to meet, and uh, you know, before we go for the break, I'll, I'll definitely get this out. Uh, Stephanie agrees. She said it herself without me saying it. Anne-Marie is the perfect person to have owning this property and living there. She is able to go about her everyday life, do what she has to get done, and when little subtle things happen, she makes note of it, and then she'll either call me or I'll call her, and she'll be like, not sure if this means anything, but I found this out of place. And sometimes it does turn into a pattern. But sometimes I also get phone calls where I think anybody else would be, forget that, I'm packing, I'm out of here. Because some of the stuff she's called to tell me, I've been like, all right, let me finish loading the dishwasher, I'll be right over there. So you were meant to meet. Don't you wish, though, that it just happened before you spent the 80 bucks in the newspaper? <laughs> well, as far as I'm concerned, it was the best $80 I ever spent, really. Oh, it's, yeah. it's a crazy, crazy story. I can't wait till we get into it. But, I mean, six and a half years later for Andy, and God, I've, I've been going there for, at what, at least three years At now? least three years, oh, yeah. yeah. So... Anne Marie's more like family now than anything. She's not just the homeowner. She, we go there, we have dinner together, we hang out, we have lemonade. She makes the best lemonade ever. Yeah, I've, I've, heard, I've heard some things about you know going over there for dinner. I've heard some things. Yeah. So listen, it's I, I call her my Italian mom. I go over there and she makes the best food. There's 45 different courses, and I leave there fat and happy, and I love it. So and it's great conversation. It's great company, and it's just a good time See, to be there. That's why the ghosts hang around because they smell all that great food cooking. Why would they leave? Well, when we get back to it, we have other theories why they're there. Well, we'll definitely get into all of that, and we'll take your calls as well. 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. You can email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com, and you can also uh, join in the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag SpookyLive. And you can see, if you're watching on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, we have cameras pointed at Andy, we have cameras pointed at Anne-Marie. You know, you'll be able to see and understand that these are people just like you uh, who are going through something, obviously. You know, it's from all that I've heard, it's very rare to have a story like this. Yeah. Uh, but maybe you are in the same situation where you don't understand uh, what's going on and, and you think that it could be paranormal, but you're not sure. Maybe people are telling you it's paranormal, but you don't believe in ghosts. That's why you need to call somebody like Andy, have him come in and investigate. And of course, you have your website, EvilParanormal.com, uh, and people can go there. Investigation page, scroll down to Private Residence, North Situate, Rhode Island. And I have quite a few EVPs and anomalies that have been caught at the house. And uh, we'll talk about all that. We'll get into all of that as well. And I do want to remind everybody about Legend Trip's upcoming event at the uh, Ventford Hall out in Lenox, Massachusetts. It's going to be on June 13th. It's going to be a great chance to get out there. Uh, it's the beautiful town. Is that that's. Is that fa no? That's the week before Father's Day. Yes. So no family obligations for you. Uh, you'll be able to come out and check out the beauty of the Berkshires and the beauty of Venford Hall itself. Yes. I'm looking forward to just getting out there. I love it uh, out in that area. But I do want to stress to everybody: the stage show sold out. Yeah. So oh, I guess we actually have so, to go through with it. All right, we'll be back on. in a moment here on Spooky South Coast. <laughs>
Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg with you, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and Stephanie Burke as well. And how's it going over there, silent assassin? You don't have a microphone, huh? I always ask you questions when you don't have microphones. As good as it gets, you know. As good as it gets. All right. I, I feel bad, like there's a computer monitor between us. We always said we would never let a computer monitor come between us, but it has. I apologize. We're breaking up the bromance. No, I do. I feel bad every time I like I say something to him, and I'm like, oh, now i got to swing this back into place. <laughs> but otherwise, how can I follow along with Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com and, and on Twitter using the hashtag SpookyLive. If anybody would like to get in touch with us via the social media, that's the way to do so. And also, you can like us on Facebook, by the way. Did you know that? You can like us on Facebook. Just yes. look for Spooky South Coast on Facebook. I didn't know that. So we try to be as savvy as we can, but people are mentioning other apps and other streaming services we can try. We'll certainly look into them, that's for sure. Uh, we're, we're willing to try anything here on the show, <laughs> at least once, probably twice, three times just to make sure. You never know. And it'll all just fall apart when we try it anyways. That's true. It's a guarantee that no matter what we do, it won't work. <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty much the, the guarantee. So, uh, and again, to everybody out there in Baltimore that's holed up in the hotel that can't come out because of the riots that are going on, uh, if you are listening, stay safe. We hope to see you all uh, you know, somewhere down the line, so make sure that uh, you get out of there safely. And, and hopefully, you know, nothing turns really, really violent. I haven't seen any news updates for about an hour and a half, two hours, so hopefully things are under control and moving along. We'll, we'll see. We'll shoot out some texts and see what happens. Right. Well, you're following on social media and checking out all the yep. hashtags of Spooky Live, so if you see anything on Twitter, and you, know, you can kind of give us an update if there's anything major that's happening so we can let the folks know. But we are talking tonight with our guests. We have Andrew Lake of Greenville Paranormal Research, along with Anne Marie, the homeowner of the house that Andy's been investigating for a number of years now, and the story just gets weirder and weirder. The more that you were coming, I can't believe this case, this happened, it seems like... Uh, it just, it always takes you in a different direction than you were expecting it. W- when you first walked into the house, now we, we were talking the first hour, you had placed a newspaper ad, she was the only person that replied, but it seemed like it was uh, you know a case worth investigating. You said as soon as you went there, you had the feeling that there was going to be something going on. Yeah, um, the psychic I brought had a, uh, a hit uh, that I had known about earlier. She picked up on the name Lillian. It turned out that was Anne Marie's mom's nickname for the ghost. She was calling it yeah. Lillian. So um, I told everybody, you know, when I show up with this woman, as I do with all the psychics, try not to say anything to her. Just kind of keep to yourself until it comes time to ask questions. So when she said that, a whole bunch of people who were playing cards downstairs, staying out of our way, were like, "Oh my god!" Like already, they were like, "That's weird." <laughs> you know, that's that's weird. But uh, Anne Marie, you you nicknamed him Linda. Linda. I always said Linda as was the ghost, and I, my mother would say Lillian, and she'd say, "Hey, you got me all confused here, <laughs> you know." But uh, but the night he showed up, yeah. Linda appeared on the screen, a window so, screen I've on seen the metal on the wire of the window screen. It was like something removed the oxidation neatly uh, from the screen, and the name Linda was on a screen to our right. You know, we're in her solarium talking to her, and I it was either you or, or the psychic Pam that noticed it. Was it was Pam. And I was like, are you certain that couldn't have been there, and maybe that got planted subconsciously in your mind, and that's where you came with the name? Mm-hmm. She was like, no. She had, had to get a ladder out uh, only about a month or two earlier and put it up against the side of the house and remove those screens and clean the windows and put the screens back on. So there's no way she would have missed 
this very obvious Linda. And what was even stranger was the Ann Williams, which was your your mom's name, Came started across. to faintly appear next to it within a few days. And that is still there and visible. And wow. as, as we'll mention, uh, messages have showed up in this house before. So, so this was, if you're looking at the screen window, it was kind of like somebody had... Uh, they kind of rubbed a finger, maybe like lick their finger. No, and kind of almost, it almost it. like maybe like they took like a, a paintbrush with bleach or a, a, yeah. a, a pencil eraser and very neatly and cleanly removed the dark oxidation to leave, um, you know, shinier wire, not shiny but whiter wire. Yeah, and it it still looks the same as it did six and a half years later, which yeah. is strange. Wow. So this. This, this is all happening. You're thinking to yourself as an investigator, like, okay, this is a place that's going to be worth spending the time and, and digging into. And, and I'm also paying attention to, look, you've just met this person, so let's you know make sure that their, their imagination isn't running wild with them. I knew I wasn't being set up. She had family members that were making it known. Like, they want to know, what are you going to get out of this? Like, why right. are you here? And I found out they were the, the skeptics who were trying to treat this like Anne Marie. It's just your imagination, blah. You know. So um, I was, was paying attention. But then when the, the little pane of glass broke on the cabinet in the living room that we were just looking at, and then we walked back in the living room, and they're staring us in the face as bold as can be is a huge crack going through the, the glass on a cabinet that she said little, little glass figurines would get moved around in the cabinet. So we'd, we'd been paying attention to it. We went in, discovered the Linda on the screen, and then when we walked back towards the living room, there's this obvious crack in the window. I'm like, okay, I mean, things are already happening while we're here. So it was, a, uh, I think, a couple of weeks when I finally caught, and people can see it on my website, left a camera running in our upstairs living room and caught two very, very fast-moving points of light, not dust orbs floating by the, the IR light. We're talking... As fast as a, you know, almost a bullet, these two blue balls of light went whoop, whoop, like right out the uh, uh, the archway into the uh, the kitchen. And there was a mirror in front of the camera that showed there was no cars on the road. And we've determined over the years, headlights just don't come into your house. Yeah. And you could see a window in the kitchen facing the backyard. So it was no light source coming from there bouncing off the lens. wasn't really spectacular, but I figured, let's bring it over there and present it to the family. I mean, they've been letting me come into their home. i got to show them something. Mm-hmm. So we went down into her mother's basement apartment, um, and uh, Anne Marie and her late mother Anne kept very cleanly house. And we watched the DVD, and we turned the lights back on. And I was saying, yeah, it's not that impressive, but it's weird. It's definitely not a, a problem with the camera. It's it was something there in the room. And Anne Marie's got this weird look in her face, and she's like, Ma, what's that on your mirror? And we turn around and we look at the mirror uh, up above her couch where she was sitting, and it looked like somebody took a greasy finger. And very sloppily and lazily tried to write something across the mirror. And when we got at an angle, I've taken photographs of it, you can just make out the words falling down the stairs. And later we noticed that in the bottom right-hand corner, there was almost like a, a, a two-dimensional um, little kitty drawing of a side of a stairway with what looked like a stick figure falling off of it. Drawn on the mirror? Yeah, on, the, on mirror? the mirror itself. And what was really spooky about this was in a few months' uh, time, it was the same week my father passed away, um, Anne fell down those stairs and died as a result from the injuries. Oh, no. Uh, falling down those stairs. And even Anne Marie's priest took her aside and said, you don't think the ghost could have had anything to do with this? Well, you know, I'll let Steph tell the story, but we had, we had Steph over and we were doing table tipping, and Anne came through. And she said, yes, they did, but don't let that bother you. I'm in a good place now, and I know more than they do. 
And she said to me when she was alive, Anne said to me, <laughs> she was such a feisty lady. She was so, so cool. Little, little redheaded Italian lady. She says, how do we get rid of them? And I go, well, I don't even know what they are right now. I don't know what their motives are. I don't know why they're here. But, you know, we may not be able to get rid of them, you know. So she looks at me and goes, well, when I die, I'm coming back to this place. And I'm going to kick them all out. <laughs> and everyone I bring in, whether it's um, Tiffany Rice, our friend Terry Germo, Stephanie, they've all looked at Anne Marie kind of like, ooh, a little hesitant. Emery, did you lose your mom fairly recently? Is she a little woman? Because I've got this feisty little woman here telling me that she used to live here and she's trying to kick these ghosts out. And I mean, the hair just goes up in the back of your neck. These right. people had no knowledge of this conversation. So we do believe her mom, in spirit form, is there in the house doing her best to kick some of these guys out who aren't really the nicest people. At least they weren't when they were alive. That's what we've been able to figure out. I, I don't know where to go from here. Yeah, I mean, that same, that's how I felt when this stuff happened. I think we should just let Andy take over the show and tell the entire. <laughs> oh, I, I, that's, I'd rather just but, hear the stories. Yeah. But um, there's but, so many. We have to take you out there. But you know, bizarre things like um, the toothpicks, Anne Marie. That was one of the early things that happened. Yeah. Toothpicks in the in a blink of an eye. Like yeah. you went to say goodbye, everybody outside. You come in. Was it? What did we count? Twenty-seven. I've got the. Number, I've got the photographs yeah. of it, but just stuck in the drop ceiling downstairs. Toothpicks within. A matter of like a minute or two. They just were like duh, 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 stuck yep. in the ceiling. Um, Clock's going backwards. Yeah. The time was going back. But of course the apparitions. I mean, people are wondering, well, do you see apparitions here? We found out when I my first visit, uh, the, the psychic that I had there named Pam, she was describing these two guys to a T that Stephanie has described, Tiffany's described, uh, Nicole LaHosse has seen them. Um, she's describing it, and this kid, this big, big kid, um, the blood just starts draining out of his face. And I'm looking at him like, what's wrong with him? And he's looking at his mother and looking at Pam and looking at mother. And I was like, what's up? And he goes, the two guys she just described, I saw them when we first moved into the house, but I wasn't going to say anything. Whoa. And she's saying they're having an argument, and that's exactly what her son said. He's all alone in the house. They're just moving in. Here's two guys up the hallway having an argument in the living room. And he's like, who the heck is in the house? So he goes up the hallway and turns into the living room, and he says there was a guy dressed they were both dressed in old-timey clothes as he put it one guy had a black like workman's outfit like black trousers with an old black coat with a white collarless shirt and a wide brim like shaker's hat and the other guy was wearing a three-piece like wool suit and one of them was sitting i believe he said the guy in the suit was sitting and the guy in the hat was standing and as second as he stepped into the archway they um, just stopped they turned together looked at him and as soon as they locked eyes, they were gone. Right. Yeah, blink. And he never told us that. And, you know, you bring these other gals to the house, and they start describing the same guys. And, and that's not uh, a matter of it being just some sort of a residual. I mean, that's they were consciously aware that he had entered the room. Yeah. Now, Anne-Marie, tell the story about the, the next sighting of the guy with the hat when your mom went to go play cards. Yeah. Um, my brother lives in Cranston, and he was having a card game. My mother loved to play cards. So two gentlemen from Situate. Um, we're going to go pick her up. And um, they pulled in the driveway and picked up my mother, and the guy, one of the drivers looked up and said, Ian, who's that guy with the hat on looking out the window? Well, my mother didn't know what to say. She says, oh, that's my grandson. That's my grandson. <laughs> she didn't want to tell him, well, that's a ghost you're seeing up there. But even people that knew nothing about a haunted house or a ghost has seen the ghost in my house. Wow. Yeah, they said he was staring at him with this look like, what are you doing here? Like, you don't belong here. Mm -hmm. But um, I've seen shadowy apparitions. Um, 
Alicia uh, Masterangelo, a friend of ours, uh, uh, I brought her to the house. She's had very good luck uh, with EVP there. But she was out in the backyard and said somebody walked right past her in the dark. And for a second, she thought it was me coming up to see how she was doing. And she waited a couple hours before she shared that with me because it, <laughs> you know, it rattled her a bit. Um, but We followed. Me, my brother, my nieces, oh. nephews. They, um, my brother had come up from Florida. He was like, oh, I want to see these guns. Glenn's a great guy. You know? <laughs> it's fun so, when he comes up. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, you know, we went in the house. I mean, they don't work on command, so, you know, they didn't see anything. So we went outside, and it was dark out. And all of a sudden, I thought it was my nephew Ricky coming out of the door and started walking down the path. So my brother Glenn, he turned, and he went down the path, and we all just started following down the path. And we got to the driveway, and we're still following, you know, what we thought was my nephew. And then all of a sudden, he took a left and disappeared into a shed right through the wall. Mm. And we all stopped cold and was like, oh, that wasn't Ricky. Like, we were following a ghost. Wow. And, and then Glenn turned to her and said, I'm going to get you a recorder and a camera, and I want you and this late guy <laughs> to, to prove this. And Glenn has been an incredible supporter to help us when we've had to to do things yes. uh, on the on the property. But Glenn became a went from a skeptic to a believer in the blink of an eye. And what was really important to say about this apparition, you, when you see this guy, he has a white shirt on with sleeves rolled up, but you never see his legs. He's hovering above the ground. It's like he's walking, but you never see his legs. And Anne-Marie has seen him again on the front lawn mm-hmm. on another occasion. But she had the good luck of having the daughter of the family that built the house. She lived there as a little girl. It was built in 1963. It was one of the last lots sold off in this area in Situate. A lot of history, a lot of nefarious history in this area. Uh, it was like the Wild West in, in Situate, Rhode Island, and, and uh, Foster, Rhode Island. They were the same town at one point. Well, she was taking a picture of the house, and Anne-Marie was like, you know, excuse me, and you went out and talked to him, and you gave me the information, and it led to me being able to talk to her parents who were in their early 80s down in Florida. It's kind of weird calling somebody like from Rhode Island, hey, can I talk to you about the house you, you built and used to live in? And how haunted was it? But they didn't bat an eye. Like, they were, like, very receptive, which I found, like, you know, I was very grateful for. But I said to the wife, I said, did you ever see a, an apparition? And she said, yes, I saw one. And I said, was it a woman? And she said, no, it was a man. Now, this was right after I had Stephanie over at the place. Mm-hmm. And Stephanie's describing this guy. And I'm just like, you know, oh, my God, I'm thinking to myself, she's like, this is the same guy everybody talks about. And she said, yeah, he helped dispose of a body in an opening in the ground over here. And they had, she was uh, dead, naked, and wrapped up in a sheet. And they dropped her in, into a hole over here and then threw rocks on her to make sure she would sink into the water. And so this woman uh, is telling me her story, seeing this guy in her bedroom. And she said, yeah, he had a white shirt on with his sleeves rolled up, and I couldn't see his legs. And he had something that looked like it was bundled in sheets, and he looked like he was looking for a place to hide it. And then he saw me seeing him, and even though he didn't have legs, it was like he tried to run out of the bedroom but disappeared in mid-motion. And I'm on the on the other end of the phone like it's a Hitchcock movie, you know, like that dramatic zoom-in <laughs> right. where the background stays in focus and it pulls into the guy. But it got even stranger. After I thanked them, like, thank you so much for taking this phone call. This is a weird phone call to take. Um, the husband goes, well, there's one more thing we should tell you. And I was like, oh, and he goes, I'll let my wife tell you. And he hands her the phone, and I go, yeah, what's up? And she goes, well, the weird stuff didn't start happening 
until my eight-year-old son found the human bones across the street. Hello. <laughs> and it was like, dun, 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 you got to be and And this is what we found out. This kid held on to these bones. And he and some guys I know, and I've been milking the truth out of them, uh, they were doing black mass stuff in the early 80s as teenagers with these bones. And the shed on Amory's property is very strange, and I've had one of the brothers confess that they used to hold these black rights in the shed. Ooh. And it seems to me that, and, and Steph says my theory isn't too far-fetched, I think long ago on this property, I know for a fact there was a 300-year-old tree that fell down eight years ago now, Anne-Marie? Yeah, I About a year so. before you bought the house? Yeah. It had a huge opening in it, and everything I've heard about it makes it sound like a fairy fort, like in Ireland, those big old trees. Mm-hmm. And there were these big glacial rocks around it. I think we had some people that were practicing black mass of some sort. But the what we should when I get to the, as I'm saying this, we should get to Stephanie's part because Stephanie did play a big part in helping me investigate this place. It still is. She went out to a spot in the yard that this woman Pam and this woman Terry said, "There's something down below. There's people down below." An autistic boy that Anne Marie knows uh, said to us, um, "It was Pam said She's how many how many people are down there?" And he said, "All of them." Yeah. Well. When I told uh, Steph after she'd done her walkthrough and got all this amazing information and hit it out of the park like all the other gals did, uh, she says, yeah, Andrew, there there was an opening in the ground here. And she says, Terry told you eight feet? And she stares at me and goes, nine and a half feet. Take a spray paint can and spray paint a circle right here. And then spray paint a square. And Glenn came up from Florida and we rented a backhoe. And I kid you not, nine and a half feet down, we found the ruined remains of a wellhead with a big cap knocked out of the way. And I was down dangerously 15 feet in the ground digging and to see if I could find anything. And the clay was there, like all the gals said. The water was there, like everyone said. And little blue chip. Yeah, oh, that, yeah, that was a funny hit. Of uh, Tiffany Rice said, you're going to find two things that have nothing to do with your mystery, but it's blue and white, like broken uh, ceramics, and something you're going to be wiping mud off. I don't know if it's a coin, but it was tossed from a work vehicle. Right where she was standing, three and a half feet down, we found blue and white broken tiles and an old Narragansett beer can. The type you had to pop, and and, and it was crumpled as if someone was getting up in the backhoe and, and probably threw it off the other uh, backhoe. But that had nothing to do with our mystery. But Stephanie was absolutely right. It ended up being there. But we couldn't find anything. So I brought Nicole LaHousse there. And uh, she walks up to the whole, like, the 500-pound gorilla in the room, because I'm not telling her any information about the location. And she looks down and then looks at me and goes, are you looking for bodies? And I wouldn't answer her. And on my recorder, I got an EVP of a woman saying, yes. Wow. And uh, she says, well, the psycho in the backyard who hates you because you won't give up on this, uh, he's laughing at you because you're digging in the wrong spot. She goes, it was the right spot. She goes, I don't know when they built this house, but as they were digging, they cut into the side of this this opening, this well or whatever it was, and they pulled everything this way. She goes, her skull is now there and points behind her. It was right where her brother, for some reason, said, I don't know why, but I feel like we should dig here instead. But because I trust Stephanie so much, and Stephanie was right. Right, yeah. We found it. Yeah. Stephanie, tell them what happened when you and your husband came over to help me move the rocks with the, the pole. So, uh... We offered our time up one day. Um, it was actually right before I had to do readings and a table tipping session for other people, you know, paying clients. I decided I was going to jump into a giant hole and get nice and muddy and dirty and disgusting, and I showed up that way. Um, 
But I offered up my husband for the day because I figured, you know, poor Andy's digging in this hole tirelessly for And I couldn't move these rocks. I needed the Incredible Hulk. So (laughs) (laughs) Brendan just jumped right into the hole and just started picking him up and just you got the incredible hole so andy's standing there in disbelief like i can't believe you're doing this right now so we because he moved the rocks we were able to get further down into the hole and we we pretty much like guinea rigged how to get in there we it was you know you had to climb basically like rock climbing down into it It yeah bigger hole it was really smaller hole it was crazy to get down in there, but um, I figured, why don't I get down to the very bottom and see if I can get anything for Andy, get any type of information. And we started talking about things, and um, things were kind of growing rough at the time because Andy was, you know, in the middle of the hole, surrounded by everything. And Andy's more psychic than he lets on. Um, I went through some weird stuff. Yeah. People observing me said I changed. Yep, his personality would change, mood swings. Um, he would get information that absolutely did make sense. So I was talking to him about, you know, you should really start being careful. Maybe I should help you start protecting yourself um, and just having regular conversations. And I think at one point I mentioned something not so, you know, positive about the person that I believed was haunting the place. Um, Andy had, I don't even know what the pole was made out of. It was a steel pole of Anne Marie's. It was like, very heavy. Yeah, and, um, and Brendan had stuck it into the ground. Like, he, yeah, you know, I watched Brendan, you know, uh, shove you, this, this thing went nearly ground. a foot into the ground. Um, it picked itself up and flew itself at me. And it probably missed me by about a quarter of an inch. Well, put it this way. If you hadn't sucked in your gut and jumped I did. back. I saw it move in my peripheral vision. I was sitting at a rock nearby. I saw I saw movement to my left, and then I just saw the pole going right at her. So it was stuck in the ground, like, like vertically? Really? Yeah. Yes. Brennan shoved it into the a- ground. Away from the could. hole that they were in. It was in the first yeah. hole. So it had to pull itself out from out of the ground. Yep. Yes. And Several it inches. flew at me, and I just had a really bad feeling at the time. I, I kind of like sucked myself in and moved myself slightly to the side. Had I not done that, it would have impaled me. It was moving so fast because it, it hit hard behind it me. I mean, it, it hit the other side of the wall of the hole and like stuck into that a little bit. And Brendan and I were just looking at each other, and Steph says, I think I made someone mad. And I was joking. I'm like, you know, if you were going to kill me, you know, you probably should have. Well, to my husband, I told him, you know, you should have put it harder in the, the ground. But if you're going to kill me, at least get life insurance first. <laughs> I and, uh, think that light just went on. It keeps going on and off. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, good. So um, he was, you know, horrified. He's like, I stuck it in the ground. You know, I, I made sure nobody was going to get hurt. And I, I trust him with everything that I have. And I know that he did. And, you know, Andy was sitting right and, next and, to it. And, and you know that when he went over there, like, just because of who he is, he's like, Right, he was right. putting it as far he was down making as Hulk right. jokes. The yeah, whole time he wanted he wanted to show how how much yeah. how far if he you could know. Get in there. If right. you know my husband, you know that's exactly what he did. Yeah. And Andy was just sitting taking a break because he had been at this all day long, and we were just kind of taking over for him. But I opened my mouth, and I made somebody mad by trying to make it seem like we were untouchable, and that was their way of proving to us that you know, yeah. like, oh yeah, you want to play that game? Watch what happens to but, you. Yeah, but as Steph has said, Nicole has said, um, uh, Terry, Tiffany, Pam. Uh, this guy enjoyed killing people, and we we think he actually did it for like the tough bad guys in town, like the the gangsters in town. We think he was the kind of guy that if they needed somebody taken out of the way, he did it. But we think he also did it for enjoyment. And it was funny. Uh, the, the number three keeps coming up. She mm-hmm. finds playing cards stuck up in the the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Uh, three keeps coming up. Tiffany Rice, when we first pulled the driveway, goes, "Does she have three sons?" And I said, no. She goes, well, the number three for some reason just hit me. It hit everybody and then had something to do with keys and locks 
and a shed. Everyone kept coming up with that. And I'm doing a talk one Halloween. It was like two years ago. And this woman comes up after me and starts sharing all these local ghost stories. I'm like, oh, I know that one. Oh, I didn't know that one. And I mentioned uh, North Situate. She goes, oh, my family's from there. And my great-great-grandmother used to tell a story uh, to my grandmother and my mo- grandmother told it to my mother that you know, the, end, uh, the, uh, the Harrisdale Mill and we've always had a suspicion mm-hmm. that this old mill site is connected to this property. She goes, yeah, he, she told us a story that uh, there was a guy there, uh, what do you call him, a caretaker? And that's a, a term that the girls have come up with. Steph said that to me as we're pulling into the driveway. Stephanie's comment was, Andy, is there an entity here you refer to as the caretaker? And I'm like just stopping my Jeep, and I'm like, uh, we'll get to that a little later. <laughs> so this woman just comes up, uh, you know, who came up to me after my talk, just out of the blue, just goes, yeah, there was a guy who used to work there. He was called the caretaker, and he lost the keys to the mill, and he got fired. And Steph kept saying, Nicole kept saying it, this guy used to be somebody, and then he was a nobody. And people didn't realize how dangerous he was because he'd seem normal most of the time, but then he'd have these little moments where he'd, you know, he'd just lose it, and he'd like to strangle people. That's what I keep Mm-hmm. Hearing from all the gals. So, so then that's the, the the kind of the narrative here of of what we're talking about. This entity, the the the, the one in the hat, is who yes. we're, we're discussing here. He worked at the mill. He was, you know, we'll we'll guess that he was fired from the mill, and then he was taking kind of contract work for some bad people. And he may have been doing it during his time at the mill. We're not quite sure, but uh, um, we think the guy in the suit was a prominent man, and I won't mention names because I, I think there's still some of that family in situate, and I wouldn't want to embarrass anybody. But Stephanie was the one that came up with the name Elizabeth. Tiffany first said, they just said, I think they just said Andrew, but they're not telling me anything about you, so I think it's another Andrew. And then Stephanie comes up. She's going, I don't think they're talking about you, but I'm getting Andrew. But I found nearby Anne Marie's house in a store home with the name Andrews on it. And with the name Elizabeth as being this guy's wife, if I can find... You know, from back in the 1800s, uh, I can find that that name connection. I'm gonna, you know, start wondering if it, you know, if I'm right about the mill. But we've had Anne Marie and I have had moments where, mm-hmm. how, how about the staircase moment after Steph did the table tipping the next day when we were discussing? Tell them that tell that story and lead into Glenn with with the the Cuban guy. Oh my god! It's a great god. this 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 is this is a great story. <laughs> Any story that starts off with Glenn and the Cuban yeah. guy, so you usually going to have a so, so you, yeah, you, you and I had the, all of a sudden just had this thing about the stairs. Yeah, we're upstairs and we're talking, and um, we start thinking, all right, it's the stairs. This has to have something to do with the stairs. So we go downstairs and we take apart a closet to get under the stairs. Maybe. You know, somebody left bones in there. Yeah, maybe the kid who originally lived there. Yeah, and, you know, we're trying to find it. Nothing. So, okay, my brother calls me up and says, you'll never believe this. He's he's working on this um, guy's boat. He's a cabinet maker, and he had brought over his father. And um, he's Cuban and doesn't speak English. Escape Castro. Yeah. And... um, he, he's rambling on, and the, the guy's going, oh, pa, stop, you know, in, in his language. And my brother goes, what's going on? He says, well, my father, he says, he sometimes, he he can see the future, and he wants me to tell you something. So my brother goes, well, what's he want to tell me? So the guy translates it. Tell your sister up in Rhode Island that the, the what was it? There's, gold, there's gold under there's the stairs. There's gold under your stairs. And 
the man in the hat. No, the no, half man. The half man knows everything about what's going on in your property. You got to talk to the half man. Like. I can't even speak English. Doesn't know Glenn from all in the world. And he had never, sh- Glenn had never shared this story with his friend or to share with. No, his- because any anybody you share a ghost story with thinks that there's something wrong with you. Right. right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah. But so, I called Glenn the next day. You gave yeah, me his number. I says you got to call Andy. He, he said he couldn't believe it. I mean, to use the exact terminology that Steph's used, mm-hmm. you know, this half man, and your mom. Yes, has communicated mother- to Steph and the others. When she's talking about this guy, she calls him the half man as well. But caretaker and half man have been like the two names. So for this Cuban guy to just come right out and say and, that. Listen, I, I think we kind of glossed over this a little bit because mm. I was I was in shock a little bit when, <laughs> when this part came up. But you said in the communications with Anne, she said to you that the ghost was responsible for what happened yes, to her? Yes, yes. He's a very bad man. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of bad ones there. There's a, uh, an uh, African-American uh, named Joe. Um, he's, uh, Stephanie, when she got out of the car, she's just trying to, like, just gather up her. I couldn't talk fast enough. That's and all, all of I a remember. sudden, I thought she had a hornet going after her. She's like, get away from me, get away from me, get away from me. And I'm looking for, like, a, a giant hornet. <laughs> oh, I've, I've seen her when the yes. hornets are flying out. Uh, yes. <laughs> I said, what's wrong? She goes, this is big, big black guy in, like, 1800s clothing. He smells really bad, and he's getting right in my face, and he's not, he's not a good person. They have smelled the smell of bad sweat and animal dung really bad. The autistic boy, Ryan, one day, uh, Amory noticed that he was having, a, he's, he's, you know, he's usually an introvert, but he was having one of his conversations that he does when he's at her property. And I believe it was uh, Pam, the first psychic, that said, I don't like this guy. His name is Joe. So when she said he was talking to somebody and they were getting this bad odor, um, Pam had recommended ask ask because Anne Marie's good at talking to him. Find out what his name is and find out if he's an African American. And sure enough, that is exactly what Ryan said about this guy. And then we find out from CJ he got up one morning to go to school and he's seen the translucent form of a guy in nineteenth century clothing, a, a black guy like in farming clothing, staring at him downstairs. And I asked him to describe him. He said, dude, I was out the door running out the driveway. He says, I, was, he says, I wasn't going to stick around to see what shoes he was wearing, you know. But this is, we think, uh, when, when we asked Ryan, he said he worked with the animals and he got in trouble for something he didn't do. But the gals are like, no. no I mean, Stephanie picked up on him like mm-hmm. almost immediately and said, does he bother a boy who comes here who's, you know, uh, has spe- special needs? And, and t- Ryan's picture was turned yes. around facing the other way uh, while she's saying this. And I was just, yeah, because you know, that's what happens. Um, side note, when you were saying that on my recorder, I got a Class A EVP of a woman saying, that's not Anne Marie. <laughs> it almost sounded like a woman approached Stephanie wondering who she was mm-hmm. and said to another spirit, that's not Anne-Marie. <laughs> yeah. And we were all alone when that happened. The EVPs that have come out of this place are phenomenal, like nothing I've ever heard before. Just sitting there and enjoying ourselves and having talk at the, the kitchen table like the time that we got the Jasmine EVP. Oh, that was creepy that as was, all heck. That was insane. You can hear that on my website. It's so loud. Even Mike Markworth said it, the person would have had to been had his face right on top of my recorder to, well, to do it. Listen, normally when we talk about 
cases like this yeah. and and you give examples of you know saying like okay well we have an EVP of this that would be normally where we would play it in the show I don't want to waste time playing it they can go to my website want, it's there yeah. I it want to hear there. more about the story and we only have 15 minutes left yeah. so you can go to greenvilleparanormal.com and it, you can find investigations scroll down look for uh, private residents in Situate Rhode Island and you can see stuff now yeah since we have uh, such little time we should jump ahead to the present because Anne Marie went down to Florida to hang out with her brothers for a month and apparently the guy in the backyard decided he was going to come back into the house. And they found the word run written in what looks like black makeup on one of the bathroom tiles and three strikes going across the, the mirror, almost like someone was trying to create like claw marks with black makeup. Now, that mirror has been written on before, and unfortunately we didn't get to look at that because one of her nieces thought he was, she, excuse me, she was doing Amory a favor by starting to clean the mirror, and then she was like, Amory. Hey, Maria, there's some weird stuff on your mirror, and there was a little horse on the mirror and a few other things, but unfortunately the child smudged it. So we'd seen this activity in the bathroom before. Uh, the name Anne was written backwards with uh, lipstick on the back side of the old mirror. None of her lipsticks matched that color. None of them were even flattened out as if it could have been used. So she comes home. The family says, oh, a, a figurine came flying out of one room and smashed on the floor. And I was a skeptic who had that happen to him. Um, and this, these, these things showed up in the other uh, bathroom. So I come right over the night she comes back. She had a few family members over to say, you know, welcome back. No one knew I was coming. I walk into the small bathroom. Steph's been in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm checking out everything when I walk in the bathroom. Looking in the shower curtains. I'm looking around everywhere. It's a pretty then scary I, place to pee. Yeah. And then, I, <laughs> then, I face, then I face the, all right, here's the word run and the strikes they were talking about. So I look at the bathroom top to bottom. No one else is in the bathroom. It's too small. Anne-Marie, her son CJ, who's visiting, and uh, your good friend um, uh, uh, Ronnie's wife. Uh, Maria. Maria was standing out there. And I was talking to them going, okay, what, what could run mean? And Maria was funny. She goes, Andrew, if we did this to fool you, wouldn't we have come up with something spookier than run to write? Yeah. Going, I don't even know what that means. So as I'm talking to them, I'm kind of shifting back and forth and blocking the wall behind me. And at one point, I shifted to the left, and Anne-Marie... And her son and her friend's eyes came out of their head, and her son leaned towards me, and his big arm went past my head, and he went, you will die. And Anne-Marie goes, new words in the wall behind you, Andrew. And I turned around, and there, on the most dominant tile, as you come in the bathroom, in black, is scrolled, you will die. So it just showed up. Just showed up you in the blink of an eye. Anne-Marie said, I shifted. It wasn't there. I shifted back. It was there. So I'm standing there going, you've got to be kidding me. So I grabbed my phone. I called Nicole. She she was out. So I, I realized I got a witch who lives nearby. My friend Pat, and uh, anyone who's seen uh, the Legends of Dolly Cole has seen mm-hmm. Pat Morgan. Mm-hmm. And I called her up. It was her birthday, and she goes, "All right, first of all, Andy, it's your friend in the backyard. He's just he's back in the house, and he's trying to scare you." Um, what do you use to write it with? It's right in front of you on the bathroom counter. And in her little makeup thing, there was eyeliner. The brush is so dainty and so delicate, we could not reproduce the word yeah, run. Right, little wispy. Or nothing. Yeah. You couldn't, you just couldn't. So she goes, um, smudge the bathroom, close it off, smudge her bedroom, and we're going we're gonna to do something about this guy, you know. But don't be scared about him. Your grandson. Tell him what Jackson, little Jackson, who's been talking ever since he could speak, he's been saying things that just freak us out. But anyway, what did he say that night? So that night he kept coming to me, holding my hand, and he kept saying something. But I, with all the people around and 
my emotion seeing you will die. I right. mean, it's like, all right, now, what do you mean by this? You know, am I going to die or, or what? And he keeps trying to tell me something. I can't understand him. So finally I get down on my knees and I says, what? What is it, Jackson? And he said, the man with no legs is here. And he was scared. And he's never heard us talk about this. We don't want to scare the kids. Right, sure, yeah. yeah, you don't talk to a three-year-old about ghosts and anything. So how do you explain these things? I mean, it just, yeah. he always talks to them. I mean, he sees them. He gets on the couch and waits for the kids to come. Yeah, Stephanie, uh, you've picked up on him too, the boy and the girl in the house. Yeah. They don't seem to have anything to do with the, the murders. We don't know where these kids came from, but there's nothing sinister about him. And Jackson talks about them. He goes home to his father and talks about the kids that come and play with his toys. And Anne Marie has found the toys oh. removed from the toy chest. Um, but, uh, yeah, these, these two little kids, I'm waiting for the kids to come and play. So they seem to be, along with your mom, they seem to be the nice spirits. But everybody mm -hmm. else in that house is, uh, they, they bend spoons and leave them in chairs and steal um, long extended lighters and break the ends off of them. And uh, Late nights be beside my son in bed. Yeah, he had yeah, some old uh, Asian uh, bayonets and fighting knives he had on the wall, this Asian motif. And he woke up with them all pointing at him in his bed. He won't live in the house anymore. Well, I was going to ask. I mean, you feel like these spirits are the re responsible for the death of your mother. They've made threats toward you and your family, but you still feel safe enough to stay in the home? Well, we've done something. Stefan Nicole did do a blessing and moved some of them on. and I moved on a lot of the victims, yes. we'll say. Um, as far as, you know, the, the other characters... A lot really don't come around anymore. If you're in the house, yeah. then they don't. But it, we feel it's because she went to Florida that yeah. he was like, "Oh, nobody's here. I'm back in the we house." Kind of abandoned. I to think the my mother came to Florida with us, and yeah. that's why they went back into the house. Because you I had really a lot, do you had a lot, lot of weird stuff happen down yeah. in Florida while we were in Florida. All kinds of things. So we think Anne was down there, like uh, teasing them with little little stuff while she was staying with her brothers. And this guy came back into the house and said, "I own the house again." And he tried to scare us off. So just recently, I brought Nicole, Alicia, uh, Chris Best uh, came along, and we had a really great night hanging out. And Nicole goes to use the bathroom and comes out and goes, you got to be kidding me, 666. And we thought she was joking. <laughs> and we get up, we go in the bathroom, and there on the edge of the windowsill is this black smear. And right above it, you can make out two fine little hair-like 666 on it. It gets even better. Nicole... Alicia and I are got our noses right on top of it, taking turns looking at it. And we're standing there about, our nose is probably about three feet away from this wall. And one of the center tiles just below the window uh, ledge, perfectly normal a second ago, and in the blink of an eye, die, spelled, written exactly like you will die, die, 17, and the one made with the little, the little foot and the little arm on it. Dot, dot, 12, 17, 12. Now, the, the character who found the bones in the house, he became a special forces soldier later in life, and he died in Connecticut of cancer. That's why I can't talk to him to find out what he did. But I thought military time. But Chris Best, standing out in the hallway, goes, it's a psalm. And we got our Anne-Marie's Bible out, and it was uh, surrounded by lions waiting to be torn apart or something like that. It was a threat. And the funny thing is, is Anne-Marie, uh, excuse me, um, uh, Pat Morgan, the witch, said to me, yeah, he's in the house with some of his buddies, and they're trying to intimidate you. Hmm. They're trying to scare you. 
So then to find that psalm, and, and I'm telling you, I know this sounds crazy. It sounds like something in a movie or a TV show. And Anne-Marie, what did I say to you when I first met you? Oh, hauntings aren't like they are in the movies. Well, her, her haunting has surpassed anything in the right. movies. I have no explanation. All I can remember is, is um, I'm a big fan of Hans Holzer. He was When I was a kid, he was the ghost hunter to, to, to pay attention to, because he worked with psychics like I do. And he had a case in Texas that had extreme poltergeist activity. And the father said they'd also find notes on paper in different handwriting tossed about the house. And one night he said, I'm staying up and I want to see this happen. His son went to get a drink of water, came out from the kitchen, goes, Dad, I found another note. And he hands it to his father and it says, you can't. It happens too fast. So when that happened, that's those two times, that's, that story came back to my mind that, you know, Holzer, you know, had found, you know, this note was given to him. It happens too fast. Yeah, and, and you mentioned TV, you mentioned movies, and, and people who are listening to this and hearing this story, and again, I've heard bits and pieces yeah. of this. I've never heard the whole story laid out like this before. I've only heard little stories along the way. Right. Uh, so people who, like myself, are hearing this are like, I, 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 this is incredible. And you, you think, well, this is somebody coming up with a story. This is somebody coming up with something. But nobody is perpetrating a hoax for seven, eight years. No. Nobody with your credentials is investigating this for seven, eight years and not thinking that, you know, not yeah, figuring out something, something's going yeah, wrong. Here, yeah. there, there's, I, in, there's no way in my mind that I can say that this isn't 100% legit, what you're talking about from... I, I just know. I know that you all wouldn't be involved in it. I know that you wouldn't yeah. still have people coming in your house all this time. Uh, obviously, you're not trying to get attention because you've never put this on television. Mm-mm. You've never... Andy's been reluctant to talk about it and to write about it. I mean, it it just seems like it's... Uh, it's I wish you had a microphone in front of you because you're the biggest skeptic in the room. <laughs> I mean, does this? how does this sit with you? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm not going there. <laughs> But uh, the it, just all of it together, it, uh, it's just uh, it's mind blowing, and I can imagine it must be even more so when you're actually there experiencing. Oh yeah, Andrew, we gotta have him come over. Remember the <laughs> yeah. remember the other person that came to oh, yeah. interview us. Oh yeah, we had a gal from WBRU get in touch with me and say, "Hey, do you have? I'm doing a Halloween thing. Can can you like take me to like a haunted location? I interview there." I said, "Yeah, as long as you don't give away the location." She goes, "Oh no, I wouldn't do that." She was a very cute uh, girl. Went to Brown University, and when I uh, I got her into the uh, the house, she says right off to Anne Marie and I, "Thank you so much for doing this." But I gotta be honest with you, I don't believe a word of this stuff. But but thanks anyway for letting you into her home. This girl was so terrified by the time she left, she was, <laughs> she was swearing, she was dropping the f bomb, she wanted. <laughs> to get out of there so quick and in her news report she admitted that you know she actually played a, a quick snippet of herself screaming that got caught in her own report <laughs> and she says i have to admit it i i was pretty scared <laughs> well at the very least matt we'll just we'll just go to eat right we'll just go for food it's incredible <laughs> it is um i mean even when i showed up i was just going to i think it was like my third location of the day that you had driven me to and i i thought all right um i'll do my best and i couldn't believe all the stuff that i was saying and i mean half the time i don't remember what i say anyway so andy's you know reminding me but i thought like i i can't believe this i have to come back here and i just kept going back and kept going back but i do have to say the crazy stuff that happens it's a very warm and inviting environment you know we go we have fun we laugh it's just it's welcoming and you know despite the things that happen but there are you know positive things 
but there are negatives too. Well, I mean, but that's probably your strength is is knowing that you've fostered this type of an environment despite the challenge. That's probably what gives you the strength to be able to stay there and, and, and to to be able to still live your life every day, even surrounded by all of this. Well, the first night I met Andrew, um, as he was leaving, he says it probably will get a little more hectic here right after we leave, which scared us to death. But he says, remember this. This is your house. You own it. Always respect them, but this is yours, and you demand it. And I've always done that, and I and I thank him for giving me that courage, because a lot of times I have run out of the house and called him, get over here, I'm not going <laughs> back in this time. But he gave me the courage to, to stand up to them and and to be polite to them. Because, I mean, they were there before I was. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and, and, and it seems like, Andy, you've got a pretty firm handle on at least how to give someone that strength. Even though this all this stuff's going down, yeah. it's probably more than you've ever experienced yeah. uh, all at once. And, and you have to be the strong one because they're looking at you as saying, well, you're the guy that's supposed to know about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I just also, you know, anybody out there thinking, well, what are you doing just leaving this poor woman, you know, to her, you know, to defend herself. Um, as soon as the the weather gets nice, we are going to do a ceremony, uh, a blessing. Uh, I'm going to bring Pat Morgan uh, and her granddaughter up, and they're going to do their best to see if they can um, um, seal him off in his little corner in the backyard. Um, she's also talked about uh, some feng shui things and things you could do, landscaping uh, involving uh, running water, uh, all kinds of things. So we hope that in the near future we can keep, the dark guys out in the backyard so they can sulk in their corners where they seem to like to hang out uh, and give, give Anne-Marie a little more peace of mind. Anne-Marie, I got a feeling you're getting a moat out of the deal. <laughs> so, uh, have, have the drawbridge, yeah. yeah. You know what else it keeps out besides the ghosts? It also keeps out the cable television yeah. salesmen, yeah. the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. Everybody, you know, yeah. nobody will be knocking on your door asking if you want to buy any magazines anytime yeah. soon. Well, thank you so much for coming in and for sharing this story, and, and thank you for being somebody who's willing to allow people to come in and, and document this, because as we mentioned earlier, you know, it, that's, it can help advance the conversation when there is a place that you can go back to again and again and chronicle what's going on. Normally, it doesn't intensify like this does and, and reach these type of proportions, but uh, just the fact that we're able to follow along with that, and I'm glad we could get the f- full story out there. And, and this, is the, this is the first time that this story has ever been shared like this, right? And well, I, I have mentioned it in, a, in some of my talks, and uh, I was hanging out uh, with uh, another show, a friend of ours, Ron Kolick, and I did uh, touch upon it with him, but um, I think this is the... Really, the I only time we've gone into detail, and to have like someone like Steph here too, is which is great. But even Jeff Belanger, the Show Me the Money skeptic, Jeff, <laughs> he is now fascinated with this case. I think we should all get together and maybe do a spooky show from her house and uh, and have dinner oh, with there her. You that go. sounds yeah. like a plan. That sounds. That could be like a backyard podcast. Yeah, we we will book it. It'll happen this summer. All right. When we actually can untie ourselves especially with the red Sox. you know there's nights that we can take off and we'll definitely put all that together but for tonight we are out of time i want to thank everybody for tuning in we will be back next saturday night with another great show uh, we have lots of things planned 
for the yes. coming months. And uh, so definitely want to keep tuning in each and every Saturday night. If you ever miss a show, the podcast is available on iTunes or wherever podcasts are found. Just go to SpookySouthCoast.com and you can find all of the archives there. And also we have video archives of, of most of the episodes up on YouTube as well if you want to check those out. If you need to reach us during the week, Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at SpookySC or you can like us on Facebook, Spooky South Coast on Facebook as well. So, so many ways to get a hold of us. We hope to hear from you. Let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Until next week, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, for Andrew, for Anne-Marie, I'm Tim. We want you all to stay spooky.